genre. Hello, this is Bob Kester from Immunities. I am here with... Norman Mitchell from Lord of the Rings Minute. Jamie Gosling, actress on Immunities. And Jamie plays Governor Brenda Lee in seasons two and three of Immunities. Give, give us some Governor Brenda Lee. My favorite Brenda Lee moment is she's describing Carrie's new project, and it's very mysterious, and there's some risks involved. And at the very end, she says, goodbye, Carrie, and good luck. <laughs> the juiciest line for an actor ever to say. Excellent. And Norman, uh, can you say a little bit more about where you're from? So uh, I am one of the two co-hosts of Lord of the Rings Minute, along with my wife, Cassandra. And we're talking about the Lord of the Rings Extended Edition trilogy, one minute at a time. For people who don't know what a Movies by Minutes podcast is, we talk about one minute of the film at a time every day, post five episodes a week. And we've recorded about 450 episodes between Fellowship and Two Towers so far. And we'll get to Return of the King sometime this year. <laughs> How many minutes do you think you have left? Uh, 300-ish. 300? Okay. <laughs> so you will then be finishing up a little more over a year after you begin, probably. <laughs> we took a hiatus in the middle of Two Towers. Oh, so yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. A little over a year between starting it and finishing it, I think. All right. And we are all here to discuss the movie The Invasion 2007, the fourth and to date last authorized version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. This will be the uh, last of this series of hiatus episodes, although if you could peek behind the curtain, it's actually the first one to be recorded. Uh, So let's start with Norman. What is your experience with the Body Snatchers movies and with this movie in particular prior to watching it for this? I somehow didn't know this movie existed and have never (laughs) seen it until I watched it six-ish hours ago (laughs) at time of recording. And the first version of Body Snatchers I ever saw was the 1978 one. Mm-hmm. which is kind of Invasion of the Body Snatchers for me because of that. I've seen the original one maybe a couple of times, and I feel like I've seen at least a couple of other things that, if not authorized versions, are directly just kind of ripping off the Body Snatcher thing. Sure. But for the most part, when I think of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, I, I remember the 1978 one, especially the last moment in the movie. Right, right, right. Which I'm sure everyone enjoyed listening to us talk about uh, two mm-hmm. weeks ago, <laughs> even though we haven't done it yet. And I mean, I've been watching horror movies since I was a little kid. The first horror movie I remember watching was uh, The Thing. Oh, okay, gotcha. When I was nine or ten years old, maybe. Which is an interesting other one that it has a specific beginning, unlike some classic monsters. But, you know, it has in the 20th century and then has been made multiple times since then. Uh mm. So, and I've always loved horror movies ever since I saw that as a little kid. It scared the, the bejesus out of me, and I was just like, are there more movies like this? <laughs> yeah. And so I suppose, like most people, you're not familiar with Body Snatchers, the 1993 version? No, I'm not, actually. <laughs> well, uh, you, in the future that is the past, uh, can uh, listen to our podcast about that. All right, and Jamie, same question to you. I, I come at Body Snatchers... From this, it's science fiction adjacent because at least 50% of this is horror mm-hmm. in my mind, especially this 2007 take on it. So it's a stretch for me because I don't watch horror films. I'm a tender heart, okay? <laughs> I like happy endings. I like sparkly stars in space. So this is gritty for me. And that's that's what sticks out to me the most about this 
version in particular. I did also see the 1978 first with our dear Jeff Goldblum. So that's... Oh, you and Jeff watched that? That's great. Oh, of course, yes. Me and Jeff Goldblum <laughs> watched it together every weekend. And, uh, and that one, it doesn't have the same element of pure horror. You know, it's got some suspense, it's thrilling, but I wouldn't call it hmm. horror per se. Gotcha. Well, we can discuss that as we go along. Well, my background is I watched, yeah, like every, a lot of people, I watched 78 first as a much too young child, got yeah. scared out of my mind, watched the 50s one in American history class. And then this one, I think basically when it came out, and then it was actually, of the four of them, it was the most formative on immunities for reasons that we'll get into, I'm sure, Interesting. As, as we go along. Yeah. I actually saw it on a, at a, a Bruin View actually just called Brew and View here in Chicago. So, mm-hmm. a, you know, a beer and second-run movies type place on a double with hairspray. Oh, so it gives, between that's... the two of them... It, yeah. Huh. <laughs> well, it gives, between the two of them, it gives sort of a skewed vision of what life in Baltimore is like, if nothing oh, else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> People in Baltimore really like to all move in unison, I guess, mm-hmm. is, is the, uh, the common theme between those two. Now, I'd like to just talk a little bit about the making of this film, which you might be unsurprised to find out was a little troubled, mm-hmm. which is becoming sort of a theme in these uh, podcasts that I do with Norman after talking about the Bakshi Lord of the Rings. I never would have guessed. <laughs> <laughs> so it was made by Oliver Hirschbiegel, which I might or might not be staying right, who is the maker of the movie Downfall, which is most famous these days probably for the, because it has the scene of Hitler in a room shouting at people thing that became a huge meme on early YouTube. Uh, R.I.P. Bruno Gantz, who played Hitler in that scene. Uh, so sort of straight off of that, it was the usual European guy has a film that, you know, Americans have heard of. And so he gets hired to do an American film. And then about halfway through, the studio starts to wonder if he's making the film that they wanted him to make. Mm-hmm. So theoretically, what happened was he had a finished film, which he turned into them. But it does that it's hard to believe that that's the case. So the studio didn't like the film that he made. So that was in 2005 by the way. Then during the course of 2006, they hired the Wachowskis to write up some new scenes to make it more action-y, I guess. Mm-hmm. So they did that, but of course they're busy doing other things. So as always happens when the Wachowskis are busy, then James McTeague was brought in to direct. <laughs> so James McTeague was the assistant director of all three Matrix movies and Speed Racer. He was mm-hmm. the director of V for Vendetta, which the Wachowskis wrote, and he yeah. was the director of a lot of episodes of Sense8. So he's sort of the auxiliary Wachowski when you can't actually get them. Mm-hmm. So he came in, did that. And then amongst other things that happened, 2005 was, in 2006, uh, Casino Royale was made. So if you're wondering, so Daniel Craig and uh, Jeffrey Wright being in this was before they were in Casino Royale together yeah. and after they were in Casino Royale together. Mm-hmm. Um, That's weird. Looking at it, it seems like there are a lot of places where they're doing sort of trippy stuff involving flash forward, you know, like you flash forward to some action and then back to the scene before the action and back again. And I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if they're doing that because there's no connective tissue between the two scenes that you would normally expect. Like, how did they get from this place to this place? But because they're doing that, they hope you don't notice. That is clever. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. But yeah, it reminds me a lot of if you ever get a chance to see the movie Cursed which is a werewolf movie by Wes Craven, who made Nightmare on Elm Street. It has a, it's another one where it's an interesting puzzle where you're like, okay, how did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the jump cuts. At first, I was like, oh, these are, these are kind of cool. I'm kind of digging this. And then as the movie went on, I was just like, this is... No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like if you were doing it on purpose, you would do it once for effect. But, you know, I think because they're doing it because they have to, it, more and more they start leaning on it. Much like... Uh, you might say rotoscoping in the Bakshi Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, so... Uh, we should go one more thing uh-huh. on the production of the movie. I cannot let this go unnoticed that Nicole Kidman went through several injuries in that car crash scene. Oh, yeah. She, she was in the car, and the car was being pulled by another vehicle that has the cameras mounted on it, so she's right, not really right. driving. Well, that that truck with her car attached to it crashed. So she sustained a concussion and several broken ribs. And from what I understand, they used the footage. Oh, wow. And you know what? I'm a performer. If something... <laughs> If something crazy like that happens and I go through all those injuries, I want it on film. You want them to use the footage? I want the credit for it. Okay, that is me, not a double. Which could be another reason why they jump in and out of that scene without connect. You know, they probably lost some days. and That's a really good point, actually. <laughs> and use of that street. You know? Yeah. All right. So the movie begins with a flash forward of Nicole Kidman in a drugstore. And I don't know, I'm neutral on the flash forward generally as a, as, a, as a thing. I feel like I liked it the first time I saw it and then did not like it watching more recently. Do you guys have an opinion on that? I generally like flash forwards to start movies, but something about this, the like the hazy dialogue and it was still kind of jumpy, was just confusing more than like setup. Mm-hmm. I think that, I think that I disagree with everybody on flash forwards here's why because i i think it's overused i think it's a bit confusing because when you're the audience you don't always know you're in a flash forward Mm -hmm. so you go in and you're really setting things up in your mind you're going along you're putting the exposition together with the movie and then suddenly you realize oh i'm looking at the future now let's take a jump so i think it's a bit disjunct for the audience but in this case where all of the main characters are in peril. I'm very selfish. I like knowing that Nikki makes it out okay. Oh, I see. You know, but again, that's for my tender heart. (laughs) I am selfish as a moviegoer, and I don't think that that really lines up with what the rest of American audiences want in a show. I can see that. I mean, for me, I think it's, you know, sort of promising, hey, kids, this may start off with just people talking, but Mm -hmm. there's going to be action later. But this movie jumps into the action so fast anyway. I I, I don't know that if it's really needed. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I've already pretty much given my opinion on that. And so we do that, and then there's we basically go right into the... The basic thing is that the space shuttle crashes on re-entry and then breaks up into a lot of little pieces, each of which spreads this alien virus thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we never find out... Like, somebody says that it seems like maybe it blew up deliberately. We don't know if the aliens blew it up deliberately because they wanted to spread the thing, or there was a heroic story we've never gotten about the astronauts trying mm-hmm. to destroy themselves in order to prevent the ali- the virus from getting to Earth. We just, like so many things in this movie, yeah. we just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting. And I was reading about, I was reading the details too, because I wanted to make sure that I knew every item that happened. And it said that the pieces from the space shuttle were scattered across just America. It said scattered across the United States. And I thought, okay, well, what about the rest of the whole world? Right, right. You know, so it is kind of strange to think of just America going through this insane amount of chaos and Canada's just fine. <laughs> France well, like is it, fine. They're very, I think, I feel like Hirschberger and McTeague may, might have had two completely different visions about the internationalness uh, yeah. of this because mm-hmm. on the one hand, it seems like Jeffrey Wright through this whole film is large and in charge. Mm-hmm. Like he like, usually by the point in a, in a Body Snatchers movie where people would first be saying, you know what? there really is something kind of funny. Maybe these people aren't so crazy. He's like, all right, I've got a picture of this virus. Here's what it does. It's obviously alien. It's taking us all over. Mm -hmm. So they've quarantined Washington as a particularly dangerous place. 
But at the same time, the whole world seems to be getting changed by the fact that the alien invasion happened. You know, you've mm-hmm. got Bush hugging with uh, Hugo Chavez. Uh-oh. Uh, Which, yeah. you know, for you kids out there, that would be like Trump hugging Maduro, I guess. And, like, <laughs> or him hugging anyone. No. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and like North Korea making peace with its neighbors. Uh-oh. On one of the TVs. Of places you would think a virus starting in the United States would take a little while to reach, North Korea would be yeah. like way yeah. up high. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it got into the U.S. government immediately. Exactly. Except that doesn't stop the U.S. government, like that base and all these army guys from being on the good guy side the whole time. It's mm-hmm. really... Odd. I mean, I guess that this is sort of jumping ahead, but it, it, I mean, it feels in some parts like very post 9 11 mm-hmm. in that the first responders are just there right away and they all seem to be very open to new ideas. And Pretty much right away. Like, one of the things I think that this movie did right at the beginning and it sets it up to. It almost kind of sets itself up to not pay it off super well because the end is a little bit Deus Ex Machina, but we'll get there. But the the fact that, like, the first guy we see infected is high up in the CDC, I think was a really interesting place to kind of start. Oh, yeah. And yet they don't make it a CDC versus the common man type film, like, on you know, mm-hmm. coming from either direction, because all the good guys seem to be from something equivalent to that also. Which, mm. amongst the many things I, I kind of wondered was how she even knew Daniel Craig. Was Daniel Craig a colleague of her husband's? Yeah. Or, it starts with him driving her to work, and yet it seems like they haven't kissed yet, and yet they've gone on a right. camping vacation to Colorado together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, if that was weird. And they're best friends, they say. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're best friends. I don't want to change that. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean to you? It seems like it seems like there really needs to be a prequel to answer a lot of questions specifically about the space shuttle, the crew thereof, and whatever is going on with Nicole and Daniel Craig. Yeah, exactly. You could just do a sort of in-the-mood-for-love type movie about the two of them and how they remain best friends, but, you know, don't let it cross that line, yes. you know, for as long as her... Even, like, years after, apparently, her marriage has broken. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm interested in the origin story of this lab assistant that solves everything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he seems like he could... Well, he seems more like he could just get his own TV show. Where'd this guy come from? He seems like just a little on the spectrum or something. Or maybe he's a prince from some alien... The last planet that these aliens took over, and so he's trying to save the Earth without the Earthlings knowing who he is. That's. I think that's the only logical solution. Mm-hmm. That might be from having watched... What was that called? The Class too many times. That Doctor Who spin-off. BBC oh, man. Oh. <laughs> One time was too many times. So, yeah, he gets infected... Husband guy gets infected. We get very little sense of who he was. Fun little note: he's got the usual trophy wife, new wife that you have anytime that a divorced single mom is the uh, protagonist of a movie. Mm-hmm. I recognize her, but I can't remember her name, and I didn't look it up. But I was too busy noting down that another divorced mom is the hero in a movie and has to deal with her ex-husband. Uh, movie is Panic Room, the David Fincher movie oh. with Jodie Foster, and in that, the bimbo trophy wife is played by. Nicole Kidman. Ah! <laughs> so this is Nicole Kidman has moved up from trophy wife to harass mm-hmm. single mom. So Nicole is Dr. Bennell, but we'll just call everybody by their actor names because that's a lot easier. But Dr. Bennell is the name of Donald Sutherland's character in 78. There's a lot of names carried over from okay. 78 to 2007 and scenes and stuff. Completely skipping the 1993 version, which is the little sister that just wants to play and everybody wants yeah. to ignore her from Lego, from Lego 2. <laughs> Throw 1993 a bone. Because <laughs> 1993 is a direct continuation of 78 in the way that no other Body Snatches film is a direct continuation. And for its trouble, it just gets completely ignored by everybody. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, she talks to her husband on the phone. He's like, I'm fine. I'm really fine. 
which there might be the seeds of the uh, immunities way of talking there. Oh, yeah. She gets the, uh, I think the one line that's in every one of these movies is, my husband is not my husband. Yeah. We get that from Veronica Cartwright, who was the conspiracy nut, sort of co-heroine in the 78 version, uh, the one who shares the final shot with Donald Sutherland. So she's there to sort of carry the torch and still be kind of a conspiracy nut. It seems like she was a conspiracy nut even before, like there actually was a conspiracy trying to get her. Mm -hmm. So that's fun. I think that they they all need to have a line like that. You know, my husband is not my husband because the the only thing to me that makes the body snatching concept scary at all is the fact that it's your loved one who is suddenly gone. Right. So you're presented with in this monster, you think right. you see your loved one and then in an instant your trust is gone because or your safety net is gone because once you realize that your loved one isn't in there Mm -hmm. you realize something else is so it's just a really jarring thing and just seeing them seeing them deal with their husband wife parents bodies moving around and talking Mm -hmm. to them but knowing that they're long gone i mean that's frightening stuff yeah other than this film kind of cheats itself because there's very few cases where you see the per- the, the relationship both before and after ah. the takeover. You know, pretty much just with her and Daniel Craig, I mm-hmm. think. Mm. And I mean, maybe that's where it lacks something. Yeah, you know, there's her and her secretary is the only other one that mm-hmm. I can think of. So, oh, Veronica Cartwright also to fans of genre in that era was also the uh, other female on the Nostromo in the original Alien movie. And the one who I think that movie is sort of trying to gear you to think is going to be the heroine. But, of course, nobody who's watched that movie in the past 40 years has not thought that it was going to be Sigourney Weaver all along. Let's see, at some point we are on to, uh, it's Halloween, just to make it extra spooky. Of course it is. <laughs> and, uh, you know, kids are going trick-or-treating. You get introduced to the fact that dogs don't like the aliens, which is uh, one that, mm-hmm. they, that, I think that's all the way from the beginning, too. So that's fun. And it only comes up in the first 15 minutes of the movie and then never again. <laughs> well, there's one other time where it does, which I just like as she's like as the place is starting being taken over and she's careening around in her car, mm-hmm. knocking over like specifically knocking over recycle bins. It's like uh, take that recycling. Yeah, but one of them has a dead dog in it, uh, and so I'm wondering if that just means they've been slowly wiping out dogs. Yeah. I didn't even notice that. I didn't either. That is macabre. Yeah, I mean that oh. just ties into the woman in her office early in the movie. Oh yeah, that's right. Talking about the husband taking the dog down. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that was that's the worst thing in the movie. R.I.P. <laughs> you mean the scariest? That's horrible. So, yeah. And Nicole Kidman's like, well, if he does something like that again, you call me. <laughs> it's like, that's what you're doing? When we know that they've already had, I can't remember what she says, a tumultuous relationship up mm-hmm. until this point. When he starts killing the family pet right in front of you, I think that might be. Yep. I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think that's, hours. that's when you call the, I don't know, the, the mental hospital or something. You just, I don't know who you call. Yeah. I mean, you have to keep open the possibility that the animal did suddenly go crazy or something like mm-hmm. that. But yeah, that just doesn't seem like what happened from like her point of view. But yeah, the kids are trick-or-treating and, the, and it's attacking one of the kids who they don't really show you until they want you to be spooked about him. Mm-hmm. So, which is also a place where I think it's cheating itself. But And then you, there's kind of a fun scene of the, the other kids are fighting over whose candy is whose and the, the one kid is just carefully organizing his. Mm-hmm. And which, because I think there's different ways you could go with that. You could have him just give the candy to the other kids or just right. not care about it. But no, it's, we like candy. We're just not going to make a big fuss about it. We're just yep. going to, it's like, this is the candy I eat first. This is the candy I eat second. Which, listen, that kind of, that kind of thought and determination <laughs> and 
and and, and analysis from a child that is spooky (laughs) all by itself okay he's just a spooky kid yeah. I was going to say, it's not possibly not the best time to mention that that's pretty much exactly where I would have been in that situation. Everybody else would be swapping candies and stuff like that. It's like, no, oh. I'm going to eat the Reese's Pieces the first day, and then I'm going to eat the bit of honey the second day. Mm. So I had a, a very close friend in college who had four sisters, and she would, like, tally up how much candy she was going to eat a week, basically, for the rest of the wow. year to, you know, be ready for, well, until Easter, basically. And then, like, three weeks later, when her sisters had eaten all their candy and thrown up, they'd be mm-hmm. like, Laura's not sharing her candy with us. <laughs> mm-hmm. so that's where that gets you mm-hmm. but that also could be a nice immunities possible thing that the aliens just want to organize our lives they believe in the things we believe they just i do have a lot of thoughts on that topic. we'll get to that okay cool see yeah then uh not too long after that oh that's right there she finds the little skin sample thing which mm-hmm. is never really explained exactly i why that's there i mean i guess that's the that's the after effect of somebody turning into one of them is that you have they have that over the body and they try to remove it all but sometimes they miss i guess and it must have come off that creepy kid yeah or off of somebody who was giving candy out but i guess probably the but why would it i don't why would it have ended up on (laughs) i don't understand on ollie (laughs) i mean i don't know that i really love that concept where you can physically see an item that is the virus. It's a lot more suspenseful and scary to me when you can't see the monster. So... But they do a pretty pretty good job of making it looking icky, certainly. Oh, yeah. But it's required to set up that shot of Nicole Kidman in her her underwear in that bathroom. (laughs) Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. Never mind. It's essential. Wouldn't want to lose that. Keep it. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, she takes it to Daniel Craig and Jeffrey Wright, and Daniel Craig is sort of what you would expect in this. It's like, oh, this is some kid's Halloween prank. This is, you know, you're a hysterical woman type thing. And Jeffrey Wright's like, aha, oh, yeah, this is something important. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, he knows what movie he's in, and nobody else does. (laughs) He's got plot awareness. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. See, we get a nice thing of the ex-husband recruiting medical corporations to disseminate this inoculation that he's come up with against the flu virus that's coming around, which obviously is going to be just spreading the thing around and strong-arming people into not asking too many questions, which I think was also definitely a post-9-11 sort of yeah mm. of a different kind You're right. thing out there. The shot of those servers vomiting into the, the coffee pots. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody I watched this with put their drink down. Yeah. <laughs> Like, and then they show you cups so many times from the top oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. the rest of the movie. They, they do a good job with fluids in this movie. It's jumping oh. ahead a little bit, but when Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman are about to kiss at one point, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I've never been so against two people kissing. I don't even know which one I was afraid for or anything, yeah. but it's just, no, humans should just stop swapping fluids now. Yep. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, she drives around, she gets, uh, a woman ends up on her car hood, screaming that the aliens are here, which is a thing back to 78 and back to 56. Yeah, and I feel like that's, that's an iconic moment in many, many adventure movies, thriller Mm -hmm. movies, uh, doomsday, (laughs) post-apocalyptic, the ones where the environment comes back to get you, where... zombie movies, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like a turning point where you see a person that has been completely wrecked mm. uh just sort of jumps out there's the same moment in i am legend as well mm. and it's when the doom sets in and then the person realizes oh my god i'm not in kansas anymore right that's I another movie be cool to compare the different versions of that story to oh yeah 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 that's definitely true that's i mean when i was watching this movie i really was thinking about i am legend a lot and for me it was the filming style because bob had alluded to the concept that it was 
not too long after 9-11. So it was still in a period of time when all of our focus was on things like first responders and ambulances and yellow tape and body scanners Mm -hmm. and metal detectors. All of these things were new and gritty and thrilling and exciting for audiences and I'll have to find out when I Am Legend came out as well. Gotcha. But and that's a place where it might have lost out from, as I say, it was being shot in 2005. If it mm-hmm. had come out in 2005, people might have been a little bit more in that mode yeah. than with it coming out in 2007. Yeah. And I, the parallels between those two is very strong because the way that it's filmed, it looks so possible. So, mm-hmm. okay, zombies aside. Okay. <laughs> zombies aside, seeing all of those things lines wrapping around the block for emergency services, parents panicking because they think their kids are going to die. There's not enough medicine. The businesses that used to have a regular slice of life are now abandoned and empty. That just looks very, very plausible Mm -hmm. to me. So when I see those things, that really gets me emotional. Oh, yeah. That sets me off. That also reminds me of an immunities point. I don't have a note about Hopefully I'll remember that when we get to the end. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah, one thing, and this is sort of a throughout type thing, and this is actually something I'm sure will probably come up in every episode, is the difficulty when making a movie like this of carefully regulating the slow, the the sort of even takeover of the world. You start off with one crazy person, and Mm -hmm. then, like, now it seems like there are a bunch of crazy people, and there are people, dead-paced people sort of watching them, and then all of a sudden, sudden, and then, like, you jump to everybody. Like, Mm -hmm. it seems like there'd be a lot of in-between stages, but there aren't really. But I don't know. Maybe... Maybe that's how it works. Well, I mean, if everyone's just throwing up in their family's morning coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I guess it starts in, like, the little pockets, and then it takes the big pocket, and then it takes time for it to get into all the other little pockets. Let's see. So she goes home, because, you know, everything's basically fine, right? Of course. You know, like... (laughs) She sees that woman get hit by her car. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. And then she... Oh, yeah, she drops off her son with uh, the ex-husband, even though she doesn't want to. With somebody else. It's a great time to leave your kid with somebody else. (laughs) Which she didn't want to do, even if he wasn't taken over by bad Uh. people, because he seems like he was a prize anyway. But she does. And then she gets visited by the census. Of course. In the middle of the night. And uh, Oh, we didn't talk about the party, though. She went to that party first. Oh, is the party before that? Oh, my God. Go on. This is the night of the party. The the party scene, the conversation around the table with Yurish is my favorite scene in this movie. (laughs) Why so, Norman? Because it's from another movie. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Uh... I don't. I really. I think that the guy that plays Yurish sells the moment really well. I like the playful banter. Mm-hmm. It's uh, where I enjoyed myself the most while watching the movie. It just. It just is. Oh, that's mm-hmm. great. I know it's so totally its own thing. Him and the Czech guy telling Russian jokes and Czech jokes back at each other, back mm-hmm. and forth at each other. Uh, I am really fond of those moments of levity that people that filmmakers have to add in like inject them into stories that are otherwise very dark because i get overloaded even okay my preference for happy endings aside let's say i do let's say i do like regular movies where the good guy dies and the planet is destroyed okay i still want if the entire film takes place in the nighttime I still want some type of scene that has daylight in it, simply for contrast, to give my eyes and my senses a break. Oh, yeah, that's, so, that's one of the secrets of horror making in general. Yeah, and so I really like when they put these scenes in with, you know, the guys telling jokes and stuff to just give the audience a second to um, unclench, mm-hmm. you know, wipe their mouths if they've thrown up <laughs> into their cups, you know. 
And uh, yeah, those two are uh, Roger Reese is the Russian and Joseph Summer is the uh, Czech. Between them, they've been in hundreds of movies, basically. Yeah. So they really know what they're doing with scenes like that. And it matters. That moment is everything that happens for the rest of the movie. He just told you exactly what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, because if you miss it, the last thing you hear is uh, one of, in the movie is one of his lines spoken over again. Yeah, but it's amazing what people will do. A hum- uh, world without conflict is a world where we have ceased to be human. Yeah. So, yeah, she goes to that party. She shows just how smart and uh, independent she is, which is mm-hmm. cool. That like, postmodern I, I, feminism uh, line. Yeah, exactly. 500 years ago, there were no postmodern feminists, and yet one sits next to you as you eat. Ah! <laughs> Get it, okay? <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't write that one down. Yeah, so then we talked to uh, the world's creepiest census guy. Well, possibly not the world. Uh, an unusually creepy census guy, mm-hmm. I'll say. The main note from there is when she's about to close the door on him the first time, you, you get this weird thing of him like opening his mouth at the very last moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it and then you reuse that exact same frame. Mm-hmm. They, that happens twice. Yeah, in they love that. Which I'm wondering, was he just going to try to vomit on her like quickly before she could close the door or something like that? It's like, oh, this is my last good chance. I mean, based on the subway scene, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has a cough with lots of droplets waiting to get out. And yeah, and then we have one of our first like really serious weird discontinuities because she's like oh my god and she calls the police and they're like oh the police lines are all tied up and she calls ben that's his name the daniel craig character and then the next thing you know it's morning and he's yes. badly making pancakes for her she's coming down the stairs <laughs> and so he's her best friend who she hasn't who she hadn't kissed before who she goes on trips to colorado with who right. has a key to her home. yes mm-hmm. <laughs> And makes pancakes. Or he stayed the night there. Possible, but it seems like she comes down and he's like, what did the police say? Oh, (laughs) you're right. That's a good point. Although I guess she said, maybe she told him, like, okay, I'm going to sleep. Uh, I'll call them first thing. When I get up in the morning, you can sleep down here, make pancakes if you feel like Maybe she didn't want to call the police when she still was a little drunk. (laughs) (laughs) She never knows when she's going to be in a new custody battle. You know, Mm -hmm. she doesn't have to. Oh, man. The court's not going to dock her points for having Daniel Craig stay over because no jury is going right. to punish her for that. But I do always want to understand why. I I understand this isn't a romance movie at all, but uh-huh. when I'm watching movies that have that element, I really need it to be clear to me who is dating whom, who wants to date whom, <laughs> who is married, who was married, all of that stuff. What's, I want that to be like really easy for like, me to figure out. There's like 15 minutes of movie missing between those two moments. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, well, I mean, you know, a very basic piece of the director has to come up with out of a script is to be able to tell any actor, like, what do you want at this moment, if they ask. Yes. And that just question either never got asked or it gave you answers that didn't work, like, as the movie, you know, as the movie came out and was re- were re-edited, and so. Mm-hmm. Daniel, what do you want out of this scene? Uh, I want to kiss Nicole. That's. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's relatable, so we can... Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, just along those same lines, just in terms of the people who are playing the Snatchers, even way back when Night of the Living Dead was being made, you would get a little two-hour class in how to be a zombie before they would put they you did? in front of a camera. I yeah, It seems like the people in this did not get that. They just each had to figure out in total isolation like what mm-hmm. being a body snatcher was, probably because they just assumed everybody had seen one in a previous film. And so, but it seems like the census guy is just not the same strain or something like that as all the others. Or, you know, it might have something to do with your prior personality or something. He's a little weird. (laughs) Maybe even a little more emotional than the rest of them. He's just... That was a weird moment. That's Barry. That's why we have him doing the door-to-door so that we don't have to deal with, so that we don't have to have him at the meetings. You know, Mm -hmm. we just send him out on the snipe hunt. Because, like, what time is it? Like, three in the morning or something? 
you're right that's weird oh that's right yeah because it's the way end of that party which yeah theoretically lasted i don't we don't know what happened after they after dinner at that party but apparently it was dancing after or something i you're right a good short film of detail between that would be nice yeah for me Let's see, this is where I have the note, which could be come up pretty much at any point, which is uh, one thing that's different between this and other Body Snatchers movie, is that it's an action movie starring action movie stars. It's like, yeah, yeah an A film in a way that the other ones weren't. The, uh, yeah, the 50s was a, a certified B movie, and the 93 one is too. The 78 became lucky that about half of its cast became, you know, like Jeff Goldblum and people mm-hmm. became famous afterwards. I mean, Sutherland was pretty famous, but I think he was sort of like slumming a little bit. And right. you had Nimoy, who at that point had been on a t- cult TV show and that was it because they hadn't even started making the movies yet. Right. So, anyway, that's just a thing. And but so, and I mean, that, that makes this one very slick and to me, I would say, I guess, even though it's got all these problems, kind of easy to watch. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when they use like a tremendous number of locations and stuff like that, you know, yeah. there's no sense of them being low on money. Yeah, the production <laughs> value is clearly high, but where did it all go? <laughs> 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 or, you know, who was in charge of making sure they had a little left over so they could actually complete the movie. <laughs> right. Right, like, it, it's at about, it, it's like the fifth time that they do the the jump cut where I'm just like, well, where's the Shaun of the Dead sound effect? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> Which, you know, Shaun of the Dead, in a way, like amongst zombie movies, it's kind of the invasion of the body snatchers of zombie movies because it has that right. same sort of... Because in most zombie fit movies, it's like there's no zombies, then there's zombies everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, right. at most there's like a, a, a house invasion in between or something yeah. like that. Where Shaun of the Dead has much more of the, like, the world has changed, but like, well, I guess it's basically a joke that Shaun doesn't notice. <laughs> True. <laughs> like right. Most people probably would. But, you know, it, it takes a little bit of that invasion of the body snatches trope that the world has sort of halfway changed. Yeah, just slow and some people are trying to live their from Shaun's point of view. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. But yeah, that's because he's Shaun. <laughs> like, they don't even notice their roommate is infected. <laughs> I love it. Let's see. She goes to work. Her secretary tries to infect her, but she uh, is called away to the, at the last moment from this new orange tea that doubtless has been spat in mm. to look over the Russian friend again, Roger Reese, who is now covered with this cocoon of slime that we yes. last saw her ex-husband in. And they bring in Daniel Craig and Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright, again, is just completely cool and collected. And he's like, oh, wow, look at that. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> then she uh, tries to take a They have her take a picture of him with her cell phone. Mm-hmm. And, like, the uh, Flash wakes him up, causes him to attack her, and kills him all in one thing. If you want to talk about concepts that are in- introduced and never shown again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was half expecting her to look at the... Although... I guess the one the one connection I could make to that is the fact that in the uh, drugstore, all the bodies that are changing are kept in the closet, not in like the main part of the store. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they were afraid that the uh, fluorescent bulbs would cause them to wake up and die or something like well, that. Why wouldn't she just like hold the door partway open, flash her camera a couple times, then lock the door? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's true. She had basically a, mm-hmm. an alien killer in her hand. Yep. Yep. We're getting ahead of ourselves there. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's always, and you can play both sides of that. The person who's hopeful, we should just contain them because maybe we can change them back. Mm-hmm. Which I think Walking Dead goes into. I've never, I haven't seen one second of Walking Dead, but I think it deals with that a little bit. Those clashing mentalities. They want, run across another group, and the other group has locked up all the zombies they've already met in a barn or something like that, and are horrified at the idea. It's like you've just been shooting them, but what about yeah. when the cure comes along? Oh. <laughs> anyway, I might just be making that up though. So, yeah, the flashy thingy comes up, never used again. 
There's uh, more like bits of stories which are interesting. You see various times like somebody's just running along or somebody's like babbling incoherently, and almost all of them seem like their stories must be more interesting than the one we're watching. <laughs> or the couple that ju- <laughs> the couple that jumps off the building. You could do oh, that was yes. be, oh my god yeah oh. there could be a total Sundance movie about that couple just Cannot like completely watch. from their point of view. Cannot watch oh. So for just a second, as much as with like a shocking scene in 78, I wondered for a second if it was just something the aliens were doing in order to see who in the crowd would react to it. Yeah. But I think it's much more likely, yeah, they were just doing what we thought, what they looked like they were. So that scene Mm -hmm. reminds me, because it's so, the way that it's shot from down on the ground, but like not the the setup to it Mm -hmm. at all, there is a Japanese horror movie called Cairo, which got remade in America as Pulse. Oh, yeah, yeah. And in the original Japanese movie, you see someone step off a building because of what's happening. Like, they they decide to kill themselves. They step off a building, and you see the body hit the ground. Oh. From From a distance, and there's not, like, a splatter. It's just, like, a thump. My heart. In the uh, extras of the DVD, you get to see, like, just sort of in passing while they're interviewing somebody, like, all three stages of that. Mm-hmm. The actors jumping off of a you know, off of a thing in a green screen room, you know, yeah. just onto a, onto a cushion three feet later. Mm-hmm. And then a pair of uh, stunt people jumping off the top of a building and then on wires and then, like, mm-hmm. stopping, like, eight feet off the ground. And then, yeah. like, two, uh, two uh, dummies hitting the ground. But, and it's great because, they, like, the whole crowd is there and then when mm-hmm. the... Uh, the stunt people just like walk just completely unconcerned you know land, and then like stop eight feet off the ground and like the entire crowd of extras just breaks out into applause oh, right? yeah that would, must have been something to see oh thank god you didn't hit the ground <laughs> exactly mm. it's like being at the circus or something Let's see oh at some point just talking about like little bits of stories this is one i think comes much later but i'm just going to mention it because this is where i have the note like when she like walks by a uh, police car and the, the cop is dead like sort of half out of the car Mm-hmm. And, like, you have no idea what the story there is other yeah. than that it gets her a car and a gun, I think. Mm. <laughs> it's it's like she's, like, in Resi- the Resident Evil video game or something like that. It's just like, oh, look. Yeah, and it gets Daniel Craig a cop out there. <laughs> yeah. Which you don't see him change. Costume change. Yeah, which he's in, and then there's a jump and a chase, and then he's out of again. And uh, But, yeah, like, I, I for my own reasons, I really wonder whether that cop was trying to fight the invasion or he was part of the invasion and, norm- you know, was trying to get people to go to their inoculation center and, like, normal people kill Well, him. like, she meets all these people along the way that are pretending to be infected. Yeah. And I'm just like, what's your story? Like, the cop that tells her to, to leave? Yeah. Or all those people on the, uh... On the subway? On the subway. Yeah. My God. And, and it leads to, there's one scene where she's walking along, and I think film, I think, manages to create a couple moments of, you. she's walking around among what she thinks are aliens, but she doesn't know, you know, it could be that none of them are aliens and that they're all pretending. There could be some sort of philosophical point to be made there, but they don't, they don't live in that enough, I guess. To... Sure. I mean, I, you both may need to help me on this. I can't really tell, and perhaps I should be able to see this, I can't really tell from most of these movies if the aliens, you know, the virus, mm-hmm. are they trying to turn people on purpose or is like a virus just spreads? Right. You know, there isn't one tiny virus sitting in a chair with arms and legs saying, let's go get the humans now. The, you know. Um, well, there is sort of an in-between thing because viruses due to evolutionary forces, most many would say, yeah. uh, have been known to cause those who are infected to engage in behavior more likely to spread the virus. Mm-hmm. I mean, sneezing is the most uh, 
Yeah. I mean, that's true. So, but I mean, also a frog that has a certain virus that also afflicts birds will like go off into, will not hide when birds are around and then right. will get eaten and then the birds get the virus. And yeah. I guess it's... it's just never been clear to me what exactly the villain, so I guess the illness or turning is the villain, what the villain wants. Like, yeah, that's true. Why yeah, this, this one, is And that's one way that this one is more like immunities in that yeah. it seems as if the people are just changed. Mm-hmm. More so than in the other ones, mm-hmm. which you know I've already talked about in the in the future past. But the uh, you know in the other ones, it seems like it's specific alien beings have like come to Earth and are taking us over. Mm-hmm. Though even there, it's not really clear. Whereas in this one, it's just this virus wants humans to become humans plus. Humans plus, yep. You know, if nothing else, so that just so that they can spread the virus to the next planet. That might right. be all that it cares about. Mm-hmm. And they keep saying in this movie. That it's it. They keep implying that it's a hive mind, but then that's just demonstrably not true. Yeah, they have ah. to talk. Uh, you know, they, uh, otherwise they would not. They would know instantly if somebody wasn't one of them. Yeah, <laughs> and if they didn't talk, if they used their just communicating mind to mind, then the audience is really left out. Oh yeah. How could the audience just physically know what's going on? Just Which hear is them. One I've had to face a few times. <laughs> yeah. That's true. You are writing one. Yeah, since since like my my aliens in a way are more of a hive mind than any of the invasion of the body snatchers mm-hmm. ones because yeah, in all of those they have to talk. Yeah, I mean, if with your characters that you've written with the altered people, if they can communicate with their minds, you've got to think to yourself as a writer. Uh, so I have to get this information, these details, the who, what, when, where, to the audience somehow. Right. But there also has to be a reason why they wouldn't use that superpower that they have. Right. And you know? in, in two, I get over that by using Carrie because yeah. she's an alpha, you know, so she's like, got, you know, an attenuated version of the virus. So she can't be part of their hive mind. Mm-hmm. So they have to tell, talk to her. And then three, obviously they're all being kept in separate cells. So yeah. they can't actually communicate with each other. They have to communicate through the humans. Spooky, yep. scary. All righty. So yeah, that cop, yet another interesting story that we're never going to know. <laughs> Until somebody like me is like, you know, no, that was the important part of the movie. So I'm going to make my own thing. That's just yep. about what that cop's life was like. You know, yeah, now that did I he think ever about dream it, that Daniel Craig would wear his clothes someday? I'm going to check just for giggles. I'm going to check out fanfiction.net and see <laughs> what the fandom part. has created. And I'm going to write back and I'm oh, going to put great. together a post. To if see nothing else, there, there must be there. There got to be Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig completists out there. Of you know, course. who watch this thing. If not, they're Jeffrey, making pancakes. You know, <laughs> it's just called pancakes. That's the name of it. Um, but I want to see what other stories the audience aside from us three i think norman and cassandra doing lord of the rings minute like learned never to look into fan fiction sites yeah uh i i learned that taking a buffy class in college (laughs) (laughs) so you're spared so much we had to we had to go look at fan fiction for an assignment for that class Mm -hmm. that was terrible See, oh, one universal truth this film does come upon is that people on like an urban metro like subway type line are normal people. People on like a commuter regional suburban type line are aliens. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I see it. I see 100%. the parallels. Okay. 100% alien, including somehow the neighbor kid. Yeah. Yeah, yep. His family didn't survive. Like, what happened? Did they, they, uh, yet another story. Did they have a suicide pact? Did they. Because we never see the aliens kill, kill anybody except for the. Right. Oh, they do run over the woman who's running. Well, down don't the street. we? Mm-hmm. Well, is it uh, the the woman whose face is half dissolved? And that's supposed to be this kid's mom. 
I can't. I can't. No, no. If it's her or if, or if it, because there's the friend we see at the beginning whose kid is the first kid who's taken over. But I don't. Is that that same kid? Well, we see we see that that woman again uh, in line. She asks her if she's been vaccinated. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. I don't think that's that kid's. Mom. I think that kid. We don't see that kid until he's over at the dad's house. Yeah. So maybe his family are friends of the dads more than the moms or something like that. So maybe that's a kid he doesn't see as often. I, don't I have know. an interjection. <laughs> and so we had talked before about how this movie may have suffered from coming out from being released a few a few years too late in the zeitgeist. <laughs> Think about if this movie was released right now with the anti-vax problems we are having. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. And then you've got these these villains creating a vaccine to kill this virus and these people are untrustworthy we don't know who's got the right information it's madness okay i think that but then a vaccination saves the day correct yeah which is the interesting about having the people on the good guys on both sides are both basically coming from it at the exact same place you know it's not like outbreak you know which is a movie from a little before this where which is all the good guys are all public health people and the bad guys are all basically uh ignorant morons <laughs> or you could see from the other point of view where the good guys are just plain folks and the bad guys are all the public health people trying to get you to like children of men yeah not children of men uh children of earth the bbc torchwood but yet another doctor who spinoff thing mm-hmm. uh which i guess that's very zombie movie because like the whole point of all zombie movie you know, not zombie movie in whole body snatcher stories in a way when they're playing best is often when you could read them like on either side of a political issue. So this could be the same thing as far as a vaccine scare. But yeah, it, it kind of probably in California, people had already started to hear about that. So that might have yeah. been in, involved in the writing of this, but it hadn't become like a nationwide real issue yet to the extent it is. Yeah. But the, the disease is in fact coming back. Yeah. Know, not to hide my hand about where I feel about that. Yeah. <laughs> I know someone just got, uh, was it a case of mumps just got confirmed in Southern Maine. Goodness. It's just like, oh my god. So, uh, <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. So, at some point, she uh, finds out that her son's been taken to Baltimore. So, she gets on the regional train to Baltimore. Oh, yeah. So, we have the scene on the subway, which is pretty creepy, but it's also pretty, there's not a lot to say about it. I feel like it's. It's what it is, and it's competently done, and it's, you know, a nice case of the fact that almost everybody on the car is on her side. Right. But the way they all get taken felt very end of a cutscene in a video game to me. Especially there's the one who almost gets away, but, you know, doesn't you can't quite reach. Yeah. Then she's on the train to Baltimore, falling asleep in the bathroom, and then she gets woken up because her version of herself in the mirror hits her in the back of the head to wake her up. That's right. Which I, I like to count that because that's one of the few times that your version of yourself in the mirror is actually helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Usually they're out to get you or replace you or something like that, but this mm-hmm. one just wants her to wake up. <laughs> yeah, and then... Uh... Then she opens the door, and the creepy neighbor kid who's taken over is right there. <laughs> Let's stop pretending. <laughs> it's so creepy. And then, oh, I just want to change by myself. You can just lock me in here. It'll be fine. <laughs> oh. That's right, because she's already seen that the wastebasket is full of that goo that she can smear herself with. It was so odd. Yeah, and that's where he says, my parents did not survive. Your family is my family now. Just hold on, kid. So creepy. <laughs> that was prophetic, though. That was prophetic. So many follow-up questions. Mm-hmm. But instead, I'm just going to close the door. Just just let me go to sleep by myself. I'll be fine. <laughs> see, it's about this point we see Bush and Chavez hugging, which is fun. But once again, does that mean one of them, both of them taken over? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> or just their advisors have been taken over. And so, you know, they 
So stop hating each other. Start hugging. I mean, this this scene on this this regional train, though, this is where I kind of just want to say that I can feel the male gaze in this movie real hard. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I noticed it in the first scene with Nicole Kidman because she's walking around in a shirt that is see-through. Oh, yeah. And then this one's the one where she actually strips down. And... and then, like, there's a scene where she strips down and is getting ready to take a shower. There's this scene in the subway train. <laughs> yep, yep. Come on. Well, I'm, Whereas, I'm uh, glad you recognize it. Some, uh, the best we get in Daniel Craig is some cop uh, dress-up. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, every single one of those moments are added on purpose. And it's not just this movie. It's every genre, all the time. You're right. Why is the shirt see-through? She could just be in a shirt that <laughs> that is a shirt. And it's not like anything happens while she, before she takes the shower. The yeah. most basic thing in the world is, okay, you know, we wanted her to be... Vulnerable? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I get why the shower trope is there, because the person is the ultimate vulnerability. They have no weapons, no shoes on, nothing. But if you have several of those moments, you're right, it's just the male gaze. It's just... And, and it just popcorn. jumps through that, see, you know, without anything. It's yeah. just like, here's what she's doing. Mm-hmm. There isn't a creative reason for that to be necessary. <laughs> oh, at all. here's Nicole Kidman in her bra and panties. Let's move on. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ting ting. So eventually, she gets off the train somehow, gets out of the streets somehow. Like there's constant like chases and things. Luckily, I've noticed aliens never check their six. You know, they they never look over their, <laughs> their shoulder at somebody. You have to who, check your six. Yep. It's a tell. And, but also, it never occurs to the aliens that somebody who does check their six obviously isn't one of them. Because uh. <laughs> she constantly does this in front of them, too. So, I think if it's a board game, there would be yep. like a bunch of moves that would be a certain color that you could play that would mm-hmm. be like, any of these get you extra stuff. But if you do it around an alien, the alien will know that you're not, you know, like running mm-hmm. or like looking behind you. Or but aliens are allowed to run stuff. sometimes if they're chasing oh, someone else. Sometimes. Oh, that's true. They, they run if you run, basically, yeah. it seems like. They're like uh, like wild cats, I guess. They stalk you because they nearly they walk faster than you. But if you try to start to run, then they escalate to running. Or maybe that's wild dogs. It's most wild animals that are interested in eating you. And <laughs> <laughs> going for the long haul, yeah, that's true because they want to burn as few calories as possible in getting the calories that constitute you. Yeah, there's the dinner with the family. Oh yeah, that's true. Which I expected to be where some immunities ideas came from, but did, but not aren't really, except for the fact that immunity starts with a breakfast with the family. Mm-hmm. So that might have something to do with it. And then they go into that basement, confront the husband. She eventually takes a hammer to you. I kind of like, I don't like a lot of the kids, the son's lines and things that are obvious step-ups, like that little pickle game they play and that, that weird synonyms game they play mm-hmm. or whatever it is. But I like his shock acting, which is possibly what he was cast for. Like when she's hammered his dad in the head and you know, even though he helped, or possibly because it's helped, and she's like dragging him away. His look on his face is just like, Jesus Christ, yeah. what the hell is, A plus. is going on? Mom? I overall thought the kid's performance was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Also, as soon as she takes out the EpiPen, he's like, oh, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> and she's like pretty good mom-like. I don't know if, like, I guess Nicole Kidman had probably had kids by that point. But when she says, no, you're going to have to be really brave. Yeah. <laughs> you know, understanding that sticking this thing into your mom's chest is probably going to be the hardest thing you've ever had yep. to do. And you know what? Because I'm telling you about it, you are going to have to do Absolutely. it. Oh, yeah. There's yep. no way we're doing this setup and not having it happen. Yeah, it's quite a Chekhov's gun there. <laughs> the way the camera focuses on the syringe as she caps it. It's just, oh. Yeah, and like the bubbles are coming up. The blip, 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 and everybody's and like, you saw Pulp Fiction, right? But this is what characters you care about. <laughs> oh, man. 
Then you've got whole very zombie-ish thing with the uh, very zombie movie thing with the the people in the closet. Yeah, who she does not kill with her phone. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you learned it, uh, no, and in, in, in that she shoots them. <laughs> That's true. Even rather than like, I mean, I guess she's tired, so you could give her some sure, okay, some some slack for not thinking of things right. I, you know, because I've certainly had points in my life where I could have solved a problem in a small way and then had to solve it in a big way later because I didn't think of it in time. But the uh, she doesn't kneecap Daniel Craig as he's walking towards the door to unlock it. Although he's kind of standing there the whole time, I noticed watching it the second time. She waits until he lets everybody out and then shoots them one by one. (laughs) Which, that was a pretty interesting line, especially like, you're not going to get, and he's like, but we have to try. So we're going to try. That's spooky stuff. That was an interesting scene. That's not a scene I remember seeing before. That was kind Mm -hmm. of an interesting new sort of idea, even if the setup for it was pretty clumsy. Yeah. There's no room in our world for someone who's immune. Yeah, oh, the oh. moment when Immunities was born. Ding, ding, okay, ding, when, when, ding. when she says, but what about Oliver? And he says, we'll take care of him. That's where I started thinking. It was like, oh, would the aliens create this whole alien welfare state for the immune people? Then they would just live among them. This could be going in an interesting direction. Yeah. And then she says, how? And he says, there's no place in the world for someone who's immune. And I'm like, wait a minute. No. Like, yeah. A, they haven't lied that much. I guess they have lied some thus far, but they, you know, they haven't lied about themselves up to now, but they just did, right. you know, in the most obvious possible way. And B, unless they say take care of him in the, the John Travolta sense. Yeah, they, he meant take care of him in a very mobster sense. Yeah, exactly. But also, it seems like given the morality that they have about everything else, that having like a little gaming preserve for the immune humans would be more in line with themselves as we see them. I mean, if they're just plain evil, then I think yeah. the whole situation becomes much less interesting in the exact way that they're trying to make it interesting with that whole Roger Reese speech about humanity and its violence and about how maybe the world is better with the aliens in charge. Well, if the aliens are just as genocidal as we are, then yeah. there's no, there's no That's an rivalry point. You know, between the two points of view. Yeah, I mean, a villain that is one-dimensional is <laughs> really just not as interesting as a villain that... <laughs> is conflicted at least in one way yeah. or I mean if they were freaked out about the kid and about the other immune people then yeah. that, would, that, that might make it interesting too mm-hmm. like, they're just tasing the other woman <laughs> yeah exactly awful they're like go to sleep go to sleep she's like I already went to sleep like no 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 go to sleep <laughs> which is where like yeah in the first episode of Immunities where they're holding Roxanne down mm-hmm. and they're, they're like come on honey just go to sleep she's like I don't want to go to sleep yep <laughs> there's a lot of medical jargon in this movie Oh, yeah, there's a whole lot. Mm. And Jeffrey Wright just rolls it off like it's nothing. <laughs> but and Nicole Kidman does a bunch of it, too, like a collapse of him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, and that's part of what I was just like, okay, all right, movie. Let's keep going here. Did you think, was that exhausting to you? Like, as a, as a listener, was it, did you feel like you were trying to figure out what they were talking about, what all these different nouns were. I felt like the point that they were getting to was really easy to follow, and they wasted about (laughs) 40 extra breaths on getting there. Yeah, it was convoluted. Like, they really wanted to show off. Yeah, they really wanted to put the techno and techno thriller for this thing, I guess. It almost works. So much about this movie almost (laughs) works. It's so close. Right. Yeah, because there were talented people involved. They just weren't all pulling in the same direction and didn't each have enough resources yeah. maybe to do what they wanted to do. And <laughs> I, think that's a, I think that's a good way to look at it. I think that's probably the most likely yeah. reason for this, for the film's shortcomings. Sure. <laughs> so uh, just to move on from there at some point, Oh, before or after this, there's a scene where she's trying to get on an elevator and one guy 
as yeah. all, as you know what's going to happen one guy's going to get his hand in there and mm-hmm. then she just clocks him with that fire extinguisher yep. and then she gives him this primal scream which I just love this ah! yeah which I thought was interesting because it's the closest we get to the 7893 alien alarm scream thing yeah but it's her mother animal mm-hmm. you know stay away from my children I thought she was going to shoot the the extinguisher I didn't know if she still had the gun or not oh yeah yeah, yeah, I can't remember. Like, where'd it go? <laughs> Is that real? It's for protection, honey. Mm-hmm. I love that she throws that gun away right after she shoots everybody. Yep. <laughs> Keep it. It's like she's like the, somebody from Keep the, the gun. somebody from the Godfather or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it's like the one in Cabin in the Woods. It like delivered a tiny little electrical sh- shock to her, so she dropped. She it. throws away two guns. <laughs> yeah, no, that's why she has to get the other one out of the closet. Oh man, bullets work. Use them. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see we have a uh, chase to a building to a helipad scene which is pretty much like every chase to a building to a helipad scene you've seen before except that it doesn't end with the marine the whoever they are who get off the helicopter don't have to just like mow down like mm-hmm. infected like is the th- infected don't quite make it up there so they don't have to actually like do anything they just is have to get this, back on the helicopter the, is again. this the chase scene where she's got the little boy in the car and then all the zombies pile on top was that yeah. a long time yeah, ago yeah yeah oh that was just a little bit below oh, okay. listen i have to say i mean i know that we like to poke fun at this movie a lot but that just the fact that how, the way that they just leave the actual sound of hands hitting a car just kind of flopping on it like the zombies aren't banging on it with their fist but just the just the regular sound of a hand grabbing on the only wall you like the barrier that you have between them uh-huh. that was mortifying <laughs> that sound got me again oh, because cool. it's real because it's it's the real sound it there's a really good cut in that in that scene too as they're all approaching, the way the the way that it's cut when the kid locks the doors was really good. Oh, it scares me. And it, I think it's helped by the fact that these are, even though these aren't exactly humans, they're not zombies either. They're not like some yeah. sort of undead, inimical creature. They're some sort of actual life form. And they, that, they know, have all the memories of the person around. that they are. Yeah. They have quirks of their personality. Yeah, like that guy earlier, it's like, I have children, and she just shoots him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I laughed. I laughed out loud. Uh, sitting in my apartment alone watching that movie, watching that moment. That's the thing about this movie. I guess in the first half of the movie, it's got like funny things that are supposed to be funny things, and the second half, it's got funny things that are probably not supposed to be funny things, but we fi- find them funny anyway because we need some kind of relief. Just, I'm a family man. I have two boys. <laughs> and then he goes to grab the gun, and she shoots him. Ba-boom. It's just like, yep. he's, he's clearly an infected. You picked the gun up. Mm. You should have shot him as soon as you're just like, you're one of them, aren't you? And he didn't emotionally react to a gun in his face. <laughs> yep. See, then we uh, jump to crop dusters and things like that. And Jeffrey Wright giving a press conference a year later about stuff that everybody would know. Mm-hmm. It's like if somebody was giving a press You're conference right. a year after 9-11 saying, yeah. we see what happened after that was that the, the other tower fell right. and then they fell directly on the command. You know, like mm-hmm. anybody who's interested in the subject would know. These yeah, things. that information would have gotten out already. <laughs> but I do love that he's kind of the public hero of the whole thing. Like, yeah. yeah, this like, as I say, like the assistant on the spectrum guy, but he was the one who was mm-hmm. doing the work the whole time. So he's yeah. the one who's apparently the hero. Yeah, this woman just wanted her kid and he he <laughs> saved her why exactly? Yeah, it's true. Well, he was trying to save Daniel Craig, I think, but Daniel Craig was gone. I mean, I guess they needed they <laughs> mm-hmm. they they needed they knew where there was someone who was immune, like with the kid. Oh right. But like at the same time, how rare is this disease? Could they have found anybody? 
anybody else anywhere <laughs> yeah. in a less dangerous area than Baltimore? Well, it could be that he's, I mean, he might be slightly rare because he both had the childhood disease and he's been uh, exposed to the virus. So that might give them some extra. That's true, but they could have exposed effect. So you don't have to take somebody who hasn't been exposed to it and expose him to it, which has inherent dangers. Right. But yeah, that's a good question. He delivers every line so well. My favorite one be when the, uh, they're driving along and he's like, okay, we can see you. And then the alien throws the Molotov cocktail at the car. Yeah. And Jeffrey Wright's like, oh no. <laughs> Oh, no. Turn right. Turn right now. This is relatable. <laughs> oh, our job just got to... Everything is fine. It's Everything is okay. Fine. Oh, they're on fire. Oh, wait. This, I want to hear more of that. It's the, it's the meme with the dog in the burning house. <laughs> hey, wait. They didn't die. I want, to hear, I want to hear that line, too. So, and then that's the end of the movie. Except for, you know, it turns out Daniel Craig is uh, well enough to read the paper one year later. And, and seemingly uh, Oliver's stepdad now, maybe? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. not just Oliver's, because the other kid did, in fact, because like, adoptions that happened while under alien control are still binding. Oh, God. So that kid is still right. your kid. Yeah. Your family is my family now. All right. That was an interesting little piece of foreshadowing in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it's over. Right? I mean, it, you know, a world without, without conflict is a world in which human beings cease to exist. All right. Ta-da. And then it just cuts to black. Credits roll. Happy ending? Just, ugh, <laughs> oh, okay. But yeah, if they, I mean, the, the movie is trying to cash checks. It did not actually, it doesn't have mm-hmm. in its account. You know, like, as I say, if they made the aliens a more moral bad guy, I guess, you know, then, well, did the right side really win would be more of a question. You were so close, movie. You were so close. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I try to put my finger on exactly what it is, and I, I can't. Uh-huh. I can't pinpoint it, and usually I can. Usually I can say where a movie faltered so that I don't like it anymore, mm-hmm. and I can't I can't grasp it. I mean, and maybe that, for me, that horror is not my genre to begin with. Mm-hmm. So that may be part of, part of my feelings. But I have to say, if the goal was to scare the daylights out of me, mm-hmm. mission accomplished. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, because I'm a nervous wreck. <laughs> if I see anybody coming at my car... You roll the windows up and you do that little lock, but the lock is just a little piece of plastic. Right, right. You know, like all of those scenes just get me so tense. I do love the kid hitting the lock all doors. Yeah, exactly. Right, just as the, you know, and you know month. it's futile. Like, you know, this <laughs> is not going to do it. It's uh, like when the monster is running at the elevator, so you're just hitting that door close button and you know it's not going to work. You know, if you hold those buttons, so, they actually do close faster. <laughs> oh, you're surviving the apocalypse. But does the elevator come faster if you hit the button a whole bunch of times? No. Yeah. <laughs> holding the button makes it come faster. Ah, mm-hmm. Like, if it's not doing anything else, holding the button makes it come straight to you on some elevator models. Hmm. Yeah, I was almost uh, that one of many that guys to Norman's wife, Cassandra, because based on my recollection of this, was saying, like, oh, it's too inept to be scary, you know? <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, wait, that's probably not true at all. <laughs> so scary. It's just too inept for it to, like, have lingering thoughts of horror. But, you know, yeah. in the moment, it is a very, it can be very scary if you don't know what's going to happen. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. If, I, I feel like Cassandra probably hasn't seen any Body Snatchers movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she also she doesn't she really doesn't do body horror, right? Yeah, this this one or the fifties one I think would be the are probably the least scary ones. But yeah, uh, seventy eight can give you nightmares for like quite a while. I think. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's this movie is so close, and it it maybe would have benefited from a less troubled production. Sure, uh, 
maybe being released a little sooner. Maybe it'd be remembered better. Yeah. <laughs> or at all. <laughs> Ouch. Woo! But the, where the movie really lost me uh-huh. when I was watching it was when Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig and are talking, and he's just like, I promise I'll get you out of here. And it keeps cutting to him in the car, getting ready to ram the barricade while they're having the conversation. It's like jumping hours ahead. While they're oh, talking, right, right. I'm just like, all right, movie, this is yeah. where you've lost me. Like, you've been doing the jump cut thing, and sometimes it's been okay, but what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. A couple times. Like, that. that is that is the moment where the movie, like, really lost me. And I love Daniel Craig. Don't get me wrong. Oh, sure. And, you know, and there one person, when I watched this, I, I, I think I showed this to people a couple years ago, before the people I showed, like, just before recording this, and... Uh, one person was spending the whole time trying to make it fit into the James Bond Casino Royale universe. And I was like, you know, so it's Yay. like James Bond and Felix Lechner having a side. This is either where they first met or, you know, this is just another adventure they had and they can't mm-hmm. tell Nicole Kidman who they really are, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I buy it. Well, Lauren, uh, is there any last thing you would like to say before we move on to the specifically immunities part of the podcast? <laughs> Man. <laughs> um, I think this movie had a really interesting premise. It, I think, like, it, it started off, like, the first 20, 30 minutes I was watching the movie, I was like, all right, yeah, I don't know why this only has two and a half stars uh, on IMDb right. or whatever. This seems fine. Like, Nicole Kidman's good. Oh, hey, Daniel Craig. I didn't realize Daniel Craig was in this movie. And then as it goes along, it just right, exactly. slowly loses me more and more. Like, the party, it peaked at the party, and then it just everything downhill from there. Just, like, the weird census guy, I'm just like... That's spooky. <laughs> like, that that's scary in a way the rest of the movie isn't. <laughs> and, like, that poor kid, if you're just in the in the context of, like, this kid's world, he watched his mom kill his dad. He watched her shoot, like, five strangers. And then after that, he was in a car accident with her. And then he gets flown to Fort Dietrich in the middle of somewhere. He gets flown to this fort. Oh, you dealt with a lot of blood taken out. And then just, like, run through all these tests, MRIs, CAT scans, everything. Like, he probably spent months under the knife being examined after all of this. And all these adults probably talking over him the whole time he's being tested. Yeah, there's a point early on where she's talking to her friend and she's like, oh, no, she's talking to the father. And uh, she's saying there was this car accident and Ali saw the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, honey, (laughs) you don't know what Ollie's going to have seen by the time this movie is over. (laughs) Mm -mm. In fact, when she says that, I didn't even interpret it at first as, and therefore he's traumatized. It was more like, if you don't believe me, Ollie saw the whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like, she's traumatized. But yeah, this, the the, the movie just kind of loses me. And the more I think about it, the more I'm just like, that poor kid. Like, what is... Sure. The movie did get me, though, because I thought that the the thing was going to be the people on the medication for, like, helping them sleep were the people that were going to be immune, not the people that... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it, or, like, some sort of interaction between, like, that and the, you know, the childhood... Yeah, with the, the, like the antipsychotic medicine and, like, the sleep medicine was, like, the thing that was keeping them immune. And the way that that first scene, that flash-forward is framed where she's taking all the pills makes it seem like that's going to be true. And for all I know, that actually was in the script. That seems like, and that would make the kid even more valuable, um, that he had been taking the medication when he was first exposed to the virus, blah-de-blah-de-blah. Yeah. But the, uh... 
And then, like, that's... But, you know, wound up on the cutting room floor amongst all so many yeah. things. Or just never showed Like, up. it would just turn out that it wasn't the wasn't this childhood disease. Like, that felt like it was added Ooh. on as, like, an extra justification. Like, all oh, people might not buy that it was just a drug we made here on Earth already that makes you immune. They needed something more. Something about your biology that's just mm-hmm. different. But if it's something about your biology yeah. that's just different, then how can you make a vaccination out of it? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and it would be it would be interesting the other way in that you know since they're sort of comparing themselves to chemical psychiatry, it's like you give people a pill to make people better, then it's almost like the medicine is the uh, the alternative invasion, yeah, you know, right. that like beats this invasion. And the the scene where the dad is sort of talking about their failed marriage, I think. Oh right, I meant to, I had to, I had notes that, about that. I think in a movie that set it up stronger, that scene would be would be really jarring in a good way like in the movie and not really kind of hammy the way it is in this one yeah in a way he becomes kind of a parody of a certain kind of male empowerment movement type guy because you know he's sort of like well you know i've been talking to people and i've really been getting in touch with my feelings and i've learned that really the reason we got divorced was your fault (laughs) because you didn't love me enough That's a really good. It's like you loved our child too. more than you loved me, and therefore, and that can't happen in our new world. Uh, <laughs> right, that can't happen in our like, world. Wait, how does? Wait, what do you mean? Well, because no one feels love. People in the new world seem to love their jobs. <laughs> yeah, like in a in a more compelling movie, that scene yeah. clearly designed to be compelling would have worked better. Yeah, mm-hmm. not that the guy's performance was necessarily all that bad, but with everything around it, it just felt. Like, the movie was trying to be suddenly more mature and psychological than it had been. Right. Yeah, I mean, he's just, Jeremy Northam is just going maximum smarmy with it, but I think that's pretty much what the script gives him. You know, like, especially since you only see a tiny bit of him pre-takeover. Like, none. It would have been great to see a little bit more of him. Yeah, just all you see of him is uh, apparently not being considered enough to even tell his new wife he's going to be home late so that she can go to bed and get some sleep. Because he has to get up early the next day. That's true. Although I think she's a girlfriend because she says, I could have been sleeping in my own bed. Oh, yeah, that's definitely. Yeah. And she's like, do you want to watch TV? He's like, no, I'm going to bed. She's like, oh, I could have been sleeping in my own bed. It's like, was she there all that time just so that she could watch TV? With yeah. Him? Yeah. Like, was she just like sitting there in her short shorts and her tank like, top? Like, we watch the late news together every single night. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely Nicole's fault the marriage ended. Yeah. For sure. 100%. <laughs> oh, boy. But yeah, I think that's that's it. I think that's most of my complete thoughts on this movie. It's like it's like a four out of ten. Alrighty. Well, Norman, uh, thank you so much for coming and joining us for this. Of course. Uh, tell us a little bit about where uh, people can find you on the internet. So if you search Facebook for Lord of the Rings Minute, you'll find a page for that podcast. Our listener group is called The Fellowship of the Mike. And we're the, the crew is pretty active on there. So if you start listening to the podcast, have something to ask. Not only will myself and Cassandra probably see it and respond, but you also get response from everyone else that's active on that part of the site. So go check that out. And and the podcast itself is very adorable, and just people who are just big fans of that, just like, you know, having a big love in about Lord of the Rings while still making fun of things that are seeming congress when you watch it minute by minute by minute. <laughs> right? <laughs> like yeah, way too close. No things you don't really think about until you decide to do something crazy like. <laughs> watch a movie one minute at a time and talk about every minute for <laughs> yeah. 20 to 40 minutes at a time every day it's you know it's a thing and yeah so go to duelinggenre.com where you're already going to find immunities 
And you can find Lord of the Rings Minute right there as well. Okay, great. Well, see you later, Norman, and I'll be listening for the uh, new season when it comes. Sometime. Sometime this year. (laughs) Someday. Bye! Bye. Bye, Norman! (laughs) All right, so that was Norman, and now it is just Jamie and I to talk about the hardcore immunities comparison stuff uh, with this. Is there anything you wanted to start with, as far as that goes? I I just want to say that I... Well, I, I like the uh, the fact that it's an audio drama versus a movie just by itself. I prefer that mm-hmm. because there's a lot more that I like doing it more with my imagination than seeing every noun and adjective spelled out for me on the screen. I can choose what I want each character to look like. Sometimes when I listen to an audio drama or I read a book, I cast my own celebrities in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really fun. And I really like the audio drama version that opportunity more than a movie, hmm. I think. And like I was saying earlier, some of the scenes in the invasion are just very gritty and so possible where there's medicine shortages and emergencies. And Immunities doesn't really have that. It's not literally shown in each scene, mm. those moments of public emergency. Right. So it's a lot softer on my heart and mind so I can have fun with it and I don't have to actually think about, you know, a baby crying or mm-hmm. a mother crying. Stuff like that isn't in it. You know, I get all the psychological fun without having to actually deal with the unpleasant trees. Right. And one it. thing you don't get is, uh, I mean, which I've steered around a little bit with immunities because I'm trying to play towards the parts of the situation that are strengths of the audio drama and not parts that are weaknesses of audio drama. Which Interesting. Which is like... In an, you know, in an audio drama, you don't get, here's the face of your loved one, but it's subtly different now. You know, True. You, you do what we do at The Voice, which yeah. I do read, you know, somewhat unsubtly. And you'll notice there's almost never, much as there isn't very much of in this movie, but there isn't a lot in the other Invasion movies. The mm-hmm. uh, building up, establishing a relationship with two people and then how it is like after they've changed. You know? Right. I do that with Roxanne and her family, I guess, through flashbacks because you start off with them changed and then, you know, mm-hmm. you, you see that they weren't always like that. Yeah. It's... So movies have some advantages as far as, you know, no matter how much that thing is another creature, you know, they have the same face. Exactly. You know? You're looking it... at your mother's eyes. Yeah. Like, that just does something to you. Yeah. You voice know? isn't quite the same. You have to, you have to build up a voice mm-hmm. a lot in a thing for, in order for people to have the kind, you know, that kind of immediacy of uh, recognition that they have with a face. Yeah. And I have to say, as an actor it presented a real challenge performing my character's governor brenda lee she is altered so it's really it presents a real challenge because they're not robots they are still i don't want to say people they're still individuals they're still characters so they still call themselves people which exactly is that, to that's them, like sort still of what season three is all about yeah yeah but it's got to be an extremely subtle difference mm-hmm. and all of your instincts about acting for that are not needed you know your instinct when you're playing somebody whose mind has been hijacked and isn't there anymore is to be extremely slow speech and extremely robotic and very like way too smooth way too enunciated and that's not at all necessary. Mm. Um, so you really have to use a subtlety with it. And yeah. Yeah, which is, I think that's something that you brought across as Brenda. Brenda is, she's sort of a go-getter, as mm-hmm. a, you, know, in, you know, more so than other alien, you know, other yeah. lookers would be. She is capable of social discomfort, you can see, mm-hmm. even though like uh, some people say they don't have it. Like when she's trying to mediate between Sylvia Scholl and Jordan Channing in that one meeting, you know, it's like, so I guess what we're both saying, yep. you know, it's like. <laughs> Absolutely. 
even though it feels as if she's treading alien territory, even, you know, for her by trying to like mediate stuff yeah. like that. But it's, she definitely has, it's sort of like in the Star Trek's, they would talk about how like Spock has no emotions or Data has no emotions. It's yeah. like, no, they're constantly displaying emotions. They just don't exactly. have the same kinds of emotions. You know? Yeah. It's just not as literal. So it's a real challenge, but it's worth it. I think. Cool. See, just various things in this that uh, were unusually immunities-like. For, for one, just the fact that there is the concept of immunity. They use yeah. the, As the movie goes on, they just keep using the word immune. Mm-hmm. I think too much. Almost. Yeah. There's a point where, where Ali says, I fell asleep and I woke up. And does that mean something's wrong? And I, I expected her to say, no, that means something's right. Which would have been very yeah. cheesy. But I feel like that's kind of talking to him on his level. Mm-hmm. But she said, no, that means you're immune. And I kept expecting yeah. him to say... Okay, but is that good or bad? You know, yeah, like, mom. <laughs> speak English, mom. <laughs> oh, yeah. I haven't been around for you talking to you know your friends all this time. I don't know whether it means good or bad. <laughs> and I like that the aliens, I'll call them, in immunities, the story development is a lot slower. And that's, I mean, there's the obvious point that you have... 30 minutes per episode, mm-hmm. a total of 15 episodes are written right now. So that's obviously way longer than one movie, but the narrative pacing in general is much slower and there's a lot more room to breathe with it. And it seems like the biggest complaint about the invasion movie is that there's so many different things being tossed at the audience. Mm-hmm. And I don't need that much. All I need to watch something or listen as an audience member is I need the hook, I need the hero and I need the outcome that I want something that I'm rooting for to happen like that's it that's all I need so the concept of with immunities you have these two sides of a war so to speak Mm -hmm. you have the altered and the unaltered and they both want to dominate the earth and I mean that's the goal since I'm an unaltered human Jamie is unaltered. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Then I am naturally rooting for the unaltered people. So I've got my hero, us, the vil- I've got the villains, and I've got what we all want. That's all I need. That's it. Which that's also kind of a uh, part of that is an advantage of the audio drama form, you know, which is mm-hmm. that you don't have to fill up a frame. Yeah. You know, if somebody's walking, you know, if Roxanne's walking down the street, and at most I'll do the crunch, crunch, crunch. Like, yeah. And, you know, maybe you hear you hear cars or you don't hear cars. You hear birds, you don't hear birds. Give you mm-hmm. some idea. Whereas if Nicole's walking down the street, you need to... You have the opportunity to, but you also have the necessity of... Yeah. Have ...putting a million signifiers in there about what's going on. Exactly. And, you know, regulating that properly. That's one reason I switched, because I used to make short films, and I moved into audio ah. drama, and I feel so much more at home mm-hmm. here. Because, you know, I only have to really have the stuff that I'm thinking about. And, you know, once you've got people really focusing, you can actually start... Even like little like environmental where are you type stuff. Once people are set where they are, you can start dropping that stuff away, and they'll right. like not even notice because they're so focused in on yeah voices. If if you're doing everything properly, I completely agree. Let's see what else we have here. One thing I was looking for in all the invasion movies is the extent to which pre takeover personalities are reflected. Mm-hmm. Which once again, the movie kind of cheats itself by not giving us both sides with too many people. Right. Like I feel like the secretary is the main person you get both of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and she just seems... They're, they're too evil is the problem in this one. They, 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 ah, too evil. Yeah, they're, they're not an interesting enough antagonist. I mean, they raise interesting questions because they're bringing world peace and stuff, even though that makes no sense within the context right. of the film. Yeah. But, like, on, a, on an individual level, they do not display the kind of benevolence that they seem to have. 
They certainly, I mean, they're interesting in some ways. One point where, once again, I thought they were making a really interesting move that didn't really, was when he's, the husband gets her down and then vomits in her face. Yep. Which, <laughs> an effective horror idea. Yeah. No denying that. And then lets her go, then seemingly just lets her run away. Yeah. I thought that they were just going to free range her from that point on. I thought they were just like, well, she's going to fall asleep. Right. Let's not worry about it. But then, of course, it goes into a car chase, mm-hmm. which for all I know, one of those was what was Hirschberger and then the car chase was McTeague or something. Like, yeah. You know, like, that seems like exactly the thing where, like, XX might say, well, you can't just let her go. You have to have a car chase. And it's like, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I thought that would have been interesting on their part that they just have so much confidence, which is something that the lookers definitely have. Right in their ultimate thing. It's like, well, obviously, one more person running around screaming that they, you know, that she's been spit on by aliens is not going to make a difference at this point, so we'll just right. let her go and spend our efforts elsewhere. But no. Yeah. <laughs> See, they are immunities like in that they're actually slightly less nonviolent than the all the other Invasion of the Body Snatchers movies. In all the other ones, these seems like they are absolutely nonviolent. In this one, it seems like they're not prone to violence. Right. But they'll use enough violence to get you. Yeah. And then when they need it elsewhere, like throwing the Molotov cocktail, even though that also seems a little weird. And the lookers are kind of like that, too, it seems like. Yeah, the lookers are definitely capable of violence. They're just not... Yeah. As explained in a dream sequence in the second season, they don't don't have the the same adrenal response we have. They don't, but I mean, maybe season four... (laughs) Maybe in season four, one of the lookers gets pushed to a certain point. It's possible. It seems like certain lookers that we've seen in season three have definitely been pushed farther than has happened before, especially if to live to tell about it. I mean, maybe. Who knows? Something might be coming up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, one way in which it's extremely more immunities like than the other ones is that it's possession of your body rather than duplication of your body. In all the other ones, explain that. In all the other Invasion of the Body Snatches movies, they grow a whole new body for you. Your body dies, that lives, but has your memories. Mm hmm. And so this one, it's like much more literally you. Yeah. Which A, makes it more of a deal, I guess, when you have a scene like Kidman, like, you know, gunning them down. If she was gunning down a bunch of people who had literally grown up in pods, like, yeah. you know, causing the original human bodies to shrivel. Yeah, and know, his, it doesn't have the same punch. Yeah, exactly. Especially knowing, as she does by that point, that it is possible that there's a cure. Oh, you know, yeah, Like, that's everybody right. she's killing is dead for real. Yeah. It's like Jim says in one of the one of the little like sort of pre-title things in season two. Every one of the lookers is holding a real human hostage. Oh, that's so dramatic. <laughs> if there was a if there was a radio commercial to at to like that would was would be on like I don't know WGN Kiss FM whatever. <laughs> that's a soundbite from it. Oh, okay, gotcha. That's what it would be. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a. The I Army did use that in one something. of the pre like last time ons. I think in season three. Something. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. There's a thing, I don't remember which branch of the military, but they always say, like, when they're in a foreign country, they say, like, your enemy is not the people, not the people of this country, but your enemy is hiding among them. Oh, yeah. So you have to be really careful, and you can't look at everybody in this country as the enemy, but you have to know that they're in there somewhere. Mm. The bad people are hiding in there. So you can't just, you can't just kill willy-nilly. That's a, that's a complicated one. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Yeah, that's as far as like the hard and fast like immunities comparisons. That's actually all I've got. That's all I have. I mean, I just have reasons why I prefer immunities. Uh, like okay, that's gotcha. that's what I'm talking about. We can have like a little rah rah segment there. Yeah. Because you know I don't you know obviously the, the people who made this didn't have the benefit of listening to immunities, whereas I did have the benefit of watching this. So, yeah, you know, it's a sort of slightly unfair situation, but you know, true. I'm happy to hear more reasons that uh, like you like immunities, but yeah. yeah, I will say one thing. I wish that I 
auditioned for the show in a later year, like season three, because all of the characters in season three have, it's so juicy. There's so Ooh. much going on. There's so much drama. There's so many reveals and like moments of urgency. There's just vocally much more dynamic than playing an altered character that I'm playing. Oh, I see. Gotcha. So, One who has not been pushed to the limit. Exactly. But just put in a slightly yeah. uncomfortable situation. Uh, Governor Brenda Lee is never going to whisper something with urgency and pray to God the villain doesn't hear it. That's not <laughs> something that's ever going to happen with Governor Brenda Lee. I don't think. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, you uh, had the misfortune of like coming in in season two is kind of hard because most of the roles that were being cast for in season two were kind of supplemental ones. Mm-hmm. And the biggest ones, especially Jim and Martha, were I actually just precast out of people who I had worked with previously yeah. on this Hamlet web series of I. You can find it at hamletseries.com. They played Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. So the only reason there was anything to audition for at all was because it was the uh, what I referred to in a earlier hiatus episode. Is that it was our Game of Thrones season. So ah, the yep. massive season two was the massive build out of the world. So I needed a bunch of little characters to like yeah. you know, sort of like show like how big the world was. Yeah. But... Now that I hear season, th- now that I can see seasons one, two, and three, now I get it that that's clearly an expansion season. Exactly. And then and then three is sort of cutting back again, pulling back again. Right. But I will say playing an altered person fits into my personal brand very well. Because if I could have an entire career playing aliens and non-humans, I would. Yeah, I actually got to see Jamie play uh, the Vulcan narrator of the Klingon Christmas Carol. I meant to bring that up when Norman was still on, because I'm not sure if he's seen that that, that show or not. That was... uh... That was really fun to see you uh, do that, and just that show in general was a lot of fun. Why, thank you, sir. (laughs) Yeah, if I could, I would go full Doug Jones and play (laughs) only creatures forever. Fun. Or sci-fi. I mean, if actors don't really get to choose their track, but if I could pick exclusively fantasy sci-fi, I would. Okay, because there's just more there's just more fun in them. It's so much more interesting. Are you good to techno babble? Oh of course, yeah. <laughs> Sound really smart with the techno babble. <laughs> yeah. But I I mean, there's an element in immunities that just isn't present in the invasion. In immunities, the altered people are all talking about the unity mm-hmm. and they're really insistent that their way is best and that they want peace okay so like you and i know that they're still the villains right right they're still going to invade earth they're still going to hijack my mind but the concept that the villains want something good on the surface is just way more interesting and i don't mm-hmm. see that element in the other body snatchers movies i think it's a common concept of science fiction mm-hmm. where like very very different characters some are humans, some are creatures, you know, cyborgs, whatever, are all grappling with finding a way to make peace amongst the whole galaxy. That's a solid science fiction theme. So I don't really see that in the invasion. But I see it clearly in immunities. And yet it seems like they were groping for it. They just didn't lay the groundwork necessary. They had it on the macro level, but they didn't have a micro level that matched up with that. Yeah, I agree. Well, cool. I think that's all we've got to say about that. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us for this. Thank you for having me. And look forward to hopefully uh, Brenda Lee appearing in future seasons. Brenda Lee is going to get a spinoff and it's going to (laughs) be a rom-com, okay? Governor Brenda Lee, the altered governor, meets an, I'm I'm just spitballing here, meets an unaltered person and... They have a spark, and they have to figure out how to date and fall in love 
despite their deep, deep differences. And there's a murder that they have to solve. Oh, exactly, of course. And then Brenda Lee is just full Sheldon Cooper, like has no social skills. Oh, there we go. Because her brain's been hijacked and she's an alien. (laughs) You know, just stuff. Great. Well, uh, this was the last of these hiatus episodes. I hope everybody enjoyed them. There will probably be some sort of other hiatus episode before the new season begins. Jamie, is there any parting thing, words you would like to give to our listeners? Well, I should I should state, I was joking, there is no spinoff plan <laughs> as yet. I, I really recommend season three. I do. I'm not, I'm barely in season three. Governor <laughs> Brendley only has like two or three lines in season three. But I have to say, it is juicy. Okay? <laughs> it, it, like, it's tense. It's got some really dramatic moments in there. And in terms of when the reveal is, too. So I won't say anything <laughs> about what... I can't say what they exactly are, but I will say well, I that... think by this point, like, everybody's dropped off. <laughs> like, True. everybody who doesn't know... Everybody. But I highly recommend season three. There you go. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Dueling Genre. Bye. Bye, Norman. <laughs> all right. Bye. And... Oops, sorry. Do your bye again. Bye. No, no. Stronger. <laughs> Bye. There we go. <laughs> Good. I just noticed the second one wasn't. It was. It was. It was different from the first one. The. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. So I'll. Uh, I'll set you up a Google Drive link to uh, send your local record to. But it's gonna take a little while because uh, we have to. We're gonna just go ahead and record our part.